Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to A Student's Perspective, the weekly series that connects students with designers, manufacturers, educators, industry professionals, and design media celebrities to hear their stories on just how they've gotten to where they are now. Through our conversations, we connect the past, present, and future of design to show just how much we can learn from each other to grow towards our fullest potential without prescribed limitations. Think of a student's perspective as a weekly design lecture series from the student's point of view. A student's perspective is a division of the nonprofit University Hall of Innovation, whose goals are to connect students with the design industry through design challenges and mentorship and a collaboration with the Marywood University Interior Architecture Program in Scranton, Pennsylvania. All interviews can be found in their video format at www.astudentsperspective.tv. For more information or sponsorship inquiries, please contact University Hall of Innovation at gmail.com. So hello, everyone. We're back with another episode of A Student's Perspective. I'm here in the Marywood Architecture Building for the first time in a long time, so it feels good. And today I'm talking with Ming Thompson um, from Atelier uh, Cho Thompson. She's the co-founder, and today Christina can't be with us, but I think she'll speak on her behalf. So Ming, would you like to just give a quick introduction about yourself? Sure. My name is Ming Thompson. I'm co-principal and co-founder of Atelier Cho Thompson. We are a multidisciplinary design firm with offices in New Haven and San Francisco. We are six years old this year. And um, we work on projects ranging from commercial to institutional to some residential. And we work between graphics, interiors, architecture, and everything in between. Um, I'm from Southern Virginia originally. I went to college at Yale. I lived in China for a few years um, and then met my partner at the Harvard Graduate School of Design um, and have lived in San Francisco and New Haven since then. And today I'm a first year advisor at Yale and I'm on the board of the Yale China Association. So I try to stay involved with students however I can. So this is um, a great opportunity today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. We're really excited to have you. And especially, yeah, your interaction with students um, is incredible. And along with Christina as well, because I believe she's an adjunct um, at the school as well. And I, I just think those integrations, along with your heavy workload and being able to manage a firm, is just incredible. And it goes to show how much you guys care about not only um, your generation of design, but the future of it. So starting off, you, you met Christina uh, within school. How did you guys decide that you wanted to build a firm? Um, we were working at this great firm in San Francisco, and we're very happy there. Um, but it was a very traditional architecture firm. They did architecture, which is what yeah. most architecture firms do. But we had a lot of interest outside of architecture. Um, I was doing graphic design projects. We both loved cooking. Christina was formerly an engineer. And we loved design at all scales. Mm -hmm. um, we did a small project in the office for Parking Day, which is this, I don't know if you guys know what Parking Day is, but it's a international fair, uh, international day where parking spaces are taken over by people mm -hmm. who set up small parklets. So instead of having a parking space, you actually give it back to humans um, on the street. So we arranged this event where we had pizza trucks and we got donations from um, like carpet manufacturers and we created and built this whole set of packable furniture for event um, for events, and 
we had the best time doing it because we got to build things with our hands. We got to do the branding, the graphic design. We got to build relationships with the neighbors. And I think we realized that we really wanted to do kind of uh, architecture at the edges. Mm -hmm. And we had this crazy dream and decided to do it. And I think um, when you start your own firm, it's good to be a little bit naive about what you're jumping into. Um, but we started the company and um, in 2014. And it's amazing that we've been able to do projects that that do those things. We, we often do work that crosses from graphics to interiors to architecture. And it's all tied together with a really strong central concept. And that was the dream that we had. And we're really lucky that we've, we found some people that let us do that. Yeah, I think it's so incredible. I read through both of kind of your design statements or philosophies in terms of how you like to express your architectural and design concepts. And I think building at all scales is something that's so special to even me, especially as we learn within design school, because we work through all those stages of design. And I think it's not pertinent, pertinent enough within larger scale firms to um, be able to have those conversations. So I feel like you, the two of you both have extreme passions um, within the field. And like you said, graphic design and even baking and how those all start to influence one another. And I believe you have some photography background um, and just those smaller ventures. How does your background in say architecture, um, such a larger scale, and then Christina's in engineering, how do you think that has influenced some of the smaller ways that you're designing today? Um, I mean, I think the great thing that you learn in architecture school or in design school is like the process of creating a strong idea, a strong concept, and then creating a story that you're telling through design, and then how to use representation to achieve uh, and communicate those ideas to other people. And then within that, to then be able to review your own ideas, you know, be critical about them, um, and then iterate and iterate and iterate. Yeah. And so I think that whole process is really what you learn in, in design school. And that's something I think everyone can benefit from, whether you're, you know, developing a birthday cake recipe at home or you're coming up with a like campaign poster. I think that process is really valuable and is one of the, you know, the great things about architecture. And I think it's a reason why a lot of architects go on and can be successful in a lot of other career fields, because that process can lend itself to almost any 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 field in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And that idea of narrative. So I feel like it's becoming a growing conversation too. one that kind of exhausted itself in terms of, you know, maybe money and finances over the years of architectural firms, but it's starting to, you know, originate and be discussed once again, especially with all these up and coming firms um, that have been continued to be recognized, just as yours has even by the zine and a lot of the qualifications that you guys keep getting seen by and a lot of the publications that you deserve to be seen by and so like being one of those up-and-coming firms how do you think the story of narrative is starting to change or do you think it's seen um, more often across some of the other design industries I mean I think you know stories are how humans uh, communicate with each other and so much of design is about creating spaces for people to be together, whether um, it's collaborating or uh, you know living in a home or working in an office or being together um, outside or inside. And I think you know humans 
like really ground, really ground themselves in stories. So I think, I mean, in a way, like the idea of a concept is really similar to that of a story, which is that there's, um, you know, key ideas that people can tie themselves back to and that gives you a foundation for a project that all the decisions you make in the future, you have a point of reference and you can look back at the concept of the story that you came up with as a way to evaluate what you're doing and figure out um, if it's, if you're you know making the right decisions. Um, but I think, you know, so much of what we do now is on the internet mm-hmm. and that our, our impetus as designers of physical space and a lot of architects and designers work on digital space too. But I think many of us still love physical things, objects, making things, craft. Um, and I think, you know, those histories and stories are what makes real space very interesting. And that, um, you know, the retail store doesn't is does isn't like it used to be, and school isn't like school isn't like it used to be. So many of our spaces have changed a lot. Um, that um, architects have to be nimble in the story that we're telling about the way those spaces are shaped and used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of questions too, just about, I guess, kind of the way that you're able to integrate all of this passion and the storytelling concept and a reminder of concept uh, as a completive whole throughout the design process and being able to talk about the human experience, I think. So you and Christina, I'm sure, share many similarities in in that design thinking, especially from going through school together and then not only sharing friendships and passions, but being able to conversate about that probably more often than you should. But um, how has it been kind of growing your business in general and getting to work with people of similar minds? And because I think a lot of your teammates or um, team members kind of share different one assets, um, but also personalities. And what has that been like for you? Or at least selecting a group to work with that can share in that um, cohesive goal? Um, You know, I think firm culture is really important. And I think, you know, thinking from the other perspective of young people coming out of school, looking for their, looking for a job, um, you know, when we hire people, skills are really important. Of course, like it's great to know that you can do Revit and Adobe Illustrator, but um, really like software can be learned. But I think the bigger things like being an empathetic person, being a good listener, uh, being a team player, being flexible, those are really what makes a great uh, a great colleague. And I mean, it's kind of amazing growing a firm because you see that you can do more and more work um, as you as you kind of grow this this organism that you're creating. <laughs> um, I think we both, you know, we both love growing the firm, but I think there's also a beauty in having a smaller firm. I think mm-hmm. it, it's easier to be nimble. It's easier to be more selective about the projects we do with fewer people. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're at a, we're we're at eight full time people right now, and then we often have a lot of interns in the summer, yeah. like six interns some years. Um, oh wow! So it's um, I feel like we're at a really good a good scale right now for us. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Six interns. That's just another speaking to the student integration aspect because you don't see that as often as you should anymore. And at least I think sometimes our minds aren't as appreciated when it comes to working beside someone who is a full-timer with years of experience, but we appreciate the experience. And I know firsthand that it's 
one of the most remarkable aspects of getting into the field is because you'll never have that same experience again once you go full-time. So being able to intern and experience those things is really important to us. Um, but I, so I guess speaking to, again, the variety of some of the team members that you have, so how has that allowed you to handle such a wide range of projects? So whether that be, you know, graphic design up into urban planning, I know some of the some team members of yours have an interest in, um, but just architecture at a scale. How do those all begin to integrate together and do people kind of piecemeal their places within projects or is it a, a collaborative process? Um, I mean, I think one thing that Christina always says, it's so great, is that we were a multidisciplinary firm because we hire multidisciplinary people yeah. as opposed to having someone who only works on construction documents and someone who only works on the conceptual part of design um, and someone who's only interested in architecture or only interested in graphics. So we we do have people on staff who are trained as graphic designers or trained as architects, but um, we ask them to do all sorts of things. And we, we have this great staff who are so um nimble and able to switch between scales so for example you know the, at the beginning of your day you're working on like a, a tiny little detail part of a piece of furniture that you're designing and then by the end of the day you're looking at a huge floor plan for like a 20,000 square foot space so there's a lot a huge scale jump in what we do and we we hire people who are interested at and good at that design and i think they I mean, we see those things as being really integrated, like you have to carry the concept from the smallest detail up to the largest move in the plan. And from from, you know, the the type of screw that you use all the way up to the scale of architecture, there's a lot of aspects that have to tie back to that central concept. Um, and we're just lucky that the, the people we work with are um, are eager and excited about doing that. So speaking to that same kind of concept of detail, so some of the graphic design elements that happen within some of your either installations or projects, like whether it be retail design, restaurant design, um, or residential, where you see some of those things appear, what is it like working on some of the graphic design branding projects uh, that you work within the interior? Yeah, I mean, those are our best projects where we get to do the architecture and the graphics. And I think um, we start with whatever the concept is maybe it's um you know uh urban farmers market or um you know like the the new vision for the workplace and we have both the architecture and the graphics kind of work together so at the beginning of a project we usually developed a conceptual approach to the architecture and conceptual approaches to the graphics that are tied together and what we do internally is that we kind of, you know, divide and conquer. We split those off and different people work on them. But then we're meeting internally a lot to review them together and to critique each other's designs and for them to kind of work together. And sometimes they um, there's like a good uh, like friction between them. Like they don't match exactly, but there's like one of them is like soft and rounded and one of them is like hard and sharp. But together they work really well. And so. Um, we kind of rely on an internal process to create a cohesive vision that we then present to the client as one as one thing. So I think that makes also a good point, the internal critiques. Um, that's a big part of 
our education here, of course, and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing in architectural college, whether it be through presentations or just interacting with other students um, during classes and coursework. What is that same process like, especially at a smaller firm? I imagine it to be a lot more integrated and conversations are able to happen more fluidly. I know maybe some of those things have kind of been altered with terms of COVID and not being able to talk in person as often as possible. But what are those miniature critiques like? Because at sometimes at a larger scale within firms, those don't happen as often because disciplines and tasks begin to or begin to break off um, and not become as integrated as they should be. So what is it like there at Atelier? Um, you know, sometimes it's very casual. Uh, like yesterday, I was really, I'm really having trouble with this big curved wall. And I wanted to do some, some kind of materials of like wood and felt or something. So I showed our graphic designer and I was like, look, I'm really struggling with this. Can you take a second look at this? Here's, here are the, the, the considerations, like maybe take it for an hour and then come back at me with some ideas. And so then she came back with me some really good ideas. So some of them are kind of casual when you're just like, I need some help and I need a second set of eyes. Um, other times we, um, and I'm sort of talking about post COVID world now, we'll yeah, allow yeah. a PDF and then people come back with commentary on the PDF. It's, it was best in the office when we could put things up on a big screen, everybody gets around the table and just throws out ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's harder to achieve now. It's a little bit more like you have to program that time and plan it out ahead and have it scheduled. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're doing much more of that on kind of like a one-on-one basis um, as opposed to the larger group ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now we're working on this really fast moving big project and it's hard to get the, that time. And um, we've we've kind of we we often divide and conquer when we need to. So having people in different spaces, and then we circle back in smaller groups to review ideas. Mm-hmm. So another thing uh, that I came to notice just by looking through your portfolio work is a lot of your modes of representation. Not only are they unique, but I think they're especially up and coming with our generations and how tasteful some of the aesthetics can get within some of the technical drawings. So. Um, axonometrics and how they kind of can start to represent the space versus floor plan. How do those kind of work into your presentations and what kind of clarifies how you decide how you're going to represent a project? You know, it's It's a lot. (laughs) We have like one mode of representation we use um, as we're developing projects. And a lot of times those are the clients wanting to see both how the space functions and how it feels. So that largely means plans and renderings, sketch renderings. Mm-hmm. That might be a combination of like handwork, um, Revit, Photoshop. Um, and those are really successful for communicating with clients. Often the axonometric can be great for very, very large projects where you're looking at programming, right. but also um, for uh after the project is over as a, t- as a way to reflect back on the project. And it's interesting, like, you know, we started doing a lot of axonometrics because we saw some beautiful drawings that some of our interns were making. And I think you're right. They're very um, like in vogue right now. There's like mm-hmm. a um, kind of cute style of axonometric. <laughs> and we just loved what she was making. So we put, we've been putting together some of those for our um, other projects too, but it really varies. Um, 
because there's, you know, there's drawings that you use to convince the client to do something. There's drawings you use to build the project. And then there's maybe drawings you use um, to commemorate the project after. And we, we use different ones each time for, for the different situations. Mm -hmm. So this is more like a personal question in terms of how you kind of changed working with the environment that you're in, but because you're able to cover so many um, like interdisciplinary actions, whether it be architecture or even um, engineering, uh, Christina having that background, how have you learned over the years uh, being surrounded by all these people, whether it be someone who's even extensively um, skilled in graphic design and being able to see the packages and working together and having an influence and an opinion on those things, how has that changed your outlook on design? and not only what you've learned, but the way that it affects your architectural designing. I mean, yeah, the, the older you get, the more you realize that you don't, you don't know that much. Like the more <laughs> you know, I learn so much from all the people that I work with. And um, I think one interesting thing about having your own firm one day is that you end up, as you probably can guess, you have to do a lot of paperwork, a lot of like payroll and HR and organizing the files and paying the bills and all those things. So it means that you start to become kind of like a conductor of an orchestra of designers and that you get to um, work with people and find their really strong talents and help direct those talents toward the project. Um, so for, I guess from everybody, I, I mean, architecture is such a great career field because it lasts for so long and you get better and better and it's going to take you until you're 80 to get really good. And I think, you know, there are people that go into other fields like tech where where youth youth is prized. And in architecture, mm -hmm. I think um, it's it's great to be in kind of an old fashioned career field where you get more and more expertise and better and better as you go. Um, and because it's, you know, it's there's infinite technical aspects to architecture. There's aesthetic aspects. There's um, so much to learn in all the different uh, parts of the field that it's it's very exciting. And I feel like I'm learning, I learn things every day and that's really exciting to be in a career field. Of course. So I also want to ask specifically about the design brigade and maybe that is also probably affecting your design as well. So working with students and hearing their ideas, but can you explain a little bit um, just to the viewers about the design brigade and what that kind of offers? Sure. Um, so in the spring of this year, when we all started to go into shelter in place, we realized a couple things. One is that we were not going to be able to have our summer interns as usual. It looked like the office would be closed. Um, a lot of our projects were going on hold. Um, and then at the same time, we were hearing from our community member, our community and from clients that there were a lot of big design problems related to COVID that were emerging in their, in their businesses and their lives. Um, and so we saw ourselves at kind of, as kind of like a middle, a middle point between a group of talented students and a group of um, community members with design problems. So we thought maybe we could connect those two together. So um, I reached out to a friend who um, is uh, the head of uh, the Center for Collaborative Arts and Media at Yale, who's named Dana Carwas, and told her this kind of crackpot idea. And she said, I know how we can make it happen. And so together we kind of devised this program very quickly um, for students to work on real-world design problems with um, organizations and nonprofits and institutions in our city. And we put out a call for applicants at Yale and got like 80 applications for 15 spots. Wow. And we had groups um, working on uh, 
some of the COVID related problems, there are many, many. One was a memorial to this time that we're going through. One was um, a outreach from cultural institutions to students who were not in in-person school. And one was working with a managed care facility for older folks who are really isolated um, uh, during the shelter in place time. So uh, it was a really, really interesting project and very challenging for the students, very challenging for us. Um, and the students all made really interesting um, work, some of which is going to be built, some of which is um, kind of being considered, some of which hopefully will influence conversations that we're having in our own city about public health, about equity, about design, and about um, good ways that we can all work together to make the city a better place. Yeah, I think it's great that you were able to extend a hand to those students too and be able to speak up for their voice because there's a lot of action happening um, within a lot of the design schools who are making this pivot to understand what's it like working and designing within a socially distanced environment. And a lot of us within our schooling, we changed our curriculum to a T in order to design in terms of socially distanced um, built environments. And I think for the ability to, for students to be able to reach more people and actually touch the city and um, talk more to the communities, I think that was such a strong, well, such a beautiful concept that you guys were able to actually make come to life. And I know it means a lot to those students and the fact that they were able to express their ideas for a, a cause that's worth it, really, in the end. Um, and so you, uh, working with the schools in general, how has that kind of changed the way that you design within your field? Or how does um, talking to students more often kind of affect the way that you think about things? Yeah, I mean, you're the generation that you're a part of, I think. Um, <laughs> you all are are so much more thoughtful about issues of equity um, than my generation. Um, yeah. And I mean, you you all are really leading the way on those conversations happening nationally. And so, you know, some of the great conversations we had this summer with Design Brigade were talking about designing with communities, not designing for communities. Um, one of our really great guest speakers, Liz Ogbu, talked about not place making, but place keeping. And I think this group of students um, really dug into the research and outreach part of this project to think about what the projects really mean and kind of rethinking the project briefs in a lot of ways, which was really a great, a great challenge. Um, and thinking about how as designers, we can do a better job actually serving our world. Um, and they made me think a lot more carefully about what a lot of designers do in terms of community outreach and how that could be done better and be done more sensitively and be done um, to truly listen to people and hear what they have to say and shape design work around them. So I'm taking my own notes just because a lot of those words start to stick out to me in the way that I consider things. And I think placekeeping versus placemaking, that's a good way of discussing it because I think the conversations that we're having now about the future um, of design are so crucial to the way that we consider it, especially in schooling now. And a lot of these conversations start here. So what do you think, I think, as I guess as a total whole, where the future of architecture and design and how it's kind of shifting forward in the next coming generation, not only from um, 
our students and the people who are entering the field, but with the changes of COVID and some of the implications that we have to make because of this, how do you see things kind of moving? And maybe that doesn't mean the next 10 years, but the next 10, 25, 30. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that led us to start our own firm, I think in a way we were responding to a lot of the big social and cultural changes that we see around us. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, uh, a lot of a lot of times in our office, we talk about hybrid typologies that a office is not just an office anymore and a home is not just a home anymore, especially now your home is your workplace, your daycare center, um, your movie theater and uh, drawing from different typology um, to make spaces that really serve the way people live today is something that we talk about all the time. And I, I see that happening everywhere now because I think the way we're using space has changed so radically during COVID. Um, So I think uh, looking more at hybrid typologies, I do think our business model, which is to be a little bit on the outside of architecture, a lot of firms uh, of my generation are shaped in that same way, either looking at architecture plus going to a larger scale or architecture plus going to a smaller scale. And I think recognizing that architecture is first a tough business model and second, isn't always the answer to every design question um, that we're gonna see a lot more firms that are kind of blending architecture with other disciplines. Um, And then I do think, you know, equity is a, a huge issue and whether it's looking at who are, who, who are architects and how, um, architecture has not done a great job welcoming in and promoting people of color and women. Um, I'm hoping that's something that's going to change. And then I think also looking at how architecture uh, has helped to perpetuate inequalities in society. I think that's something that, and largely driven by younger people, we are taking a harder look at our role and being complicit in those things. So um, uh, I think Architects need to have a seat at the table when we're talking about how to make our world a better place. And so we need to um, we need to have a role in that conversation. So I'd like to end off um, it's a little bit more general of a question, but I think in terms of what you just kind of said, we can make it a little bit more specific. So students and as they're entering the field, maybe straight from college, what is kind of some recommendations you'd give to them, but maybe considering their voice of reason and what they should be considering as they enter um, basically a new field of design? Like when they're graduating and going to architecture? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's good to try and find out what you like, both in terms of scale and type of architecture but I think also thinking about what you want your daily life to be like. I think um, a big part of uh, working is being part of a culture at a firm and finding a good fit for yourself. Um, and for me, as someone who knew that I wanted to start a family one day, trying to navigate how, you know, I, I can't be at a firm where I'm at the office till 10 p.m. every night. It's just not going to work. So, um I don't think it's um, you can discount like the consideration of those aspects of architecture as well, like what your life uh, feels like. And then I think trying out, you know, when you're young, trying out as many things as you can, trying different cities, uh, different types of firms um, before at some point, hopefully you settle down into, you know, 
maybe a firm that you start or a firm that you love being at um, uh, after trying and finding the right fit. Yeah, I agree. yeah. I mean, we get that suggestion a lot, and I think following kind of not always the beaten path and you know, finding and tipping your toes in the water where you can in order to get there um, is kind of the best realm of possibility. And I think you've been able to reach that too at a total kind of inclusive world of design in which you're able to touch all your passions in one place. And I think that's something that most people aspire to be at. And I hope by seeing some of these conversations that they realize they can get there <laughs> to a certain degree. So Megan, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I know we wish we could have had Christina here as well, but I think the conversation regarding your firm and just kind of the ability to cover so many scales of design is really important, I think, to not only the interior architecture students, but architecture students and beyond. And to see where they can start to interrelate is so crucial, especially within the field that we're in and the time and age that we're within now, um, where it's all so relevant and every every scale of what we're doing um, is crucial to the design goal. Would you mind telling the viewers as well just where they can find you on social media? Sure, you can find us on our website at www.chothompson.com and you can follow us on Instagram at chothompson as well. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much Thank for being you. here and we will see you guys all on another episode of A Student's Perspective. We hope you liked this discussion with the design industry from a student's perspective. Please like, share, and comment, and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations to come.